Chapter Fifteen of Unleavened Bread. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Unleavened Bread by Robert Grant. Chapter Fifteen. One evening, four or five days after the supper party, Wilbur laid down the book which he was pretending to read and said, "Selma, I have come to the conclusion that I must give up dabbling in stocks. I am being injured by it." not financially for as you know i have made a few thousand dollars but morally i thought you were convinced that it was not immoral answered selma in a constrained voice i do not refer to whether speculation is justifiable in itself but to its effect on me as an individual its distraction to my mind and consequent interference with my professional work oh well for a year now the greater portion of the time i have had some interest in the market and as a consequence have felt impelled to look in on williams and van horn every day sometimes oftener i am unable to dismiss my speculations from my thoughts i find myself wondering what has happened to the stocks i am carrying and i am satisfied that the practice is thoroughly demoralizing to my self-respect and to my progress i am going to give it up i suppose you must give it up if it affects you like that responded selma dryly i don't see exactly why it should it may seem foolish to you but i am unable to put my ventures out of my mind the consequences of loss would be so serious to me that i suppose my imagination becomes unduly active and apprehensive also i find myself eager to secure large gains i must renounce aladdin's lamp from this day forth my dear and trust to my legitimate business for my income selma folded her hands and looked grave it's disappointing that you feel just so when we are beginning to get on wilbur i have realized selma that you have enjoyed and well been made happier by the freedom to spend which this extra money has afforded you but i know when you reflect you will understand that i'm right and that it would be disastrous to both of us if i were continued to do what i believe to be demoralizing it is a mortification to me to ask you to retrench but i said to myself that selma would be the first to insist on our doing so if she knew my feelings and it makes me happy to be sure of your approval littleton spoke with a tender plaintiveness which betrayed that in his secret soul he was less confident on the score than his words declared or than he himself supposed of course he said earnestly i shall hope that it will not make much difference my business is slowly but steadily improving and i am doing more this year than last i am bending all my energies on my plans for wetmore college if i win in that competition i shall make a reputation and a respectable commission you have been on those plans for three months yes and shall not finish them for another two i wish to do my best work selma and i should be glad not to hear quotations of the ticker in my brain you desire me to be thorough surely selma mia oh yes only you know people very often spoil things by pottering over them i never potter i reject because i am dissatisfied rather than offer a design which does not please me but i do not waste my time call it over conscientiousness then i wish you to do your best work of course but one can't expect to do best work invariably everything was going so nicely that you must perceive it will be inconvenient to have to economize as we did before littleton looked at his wife with a glance of loving distress you wouldn't really care a button i know you wouldn't selma 
he said stoutly. "'Of course not, if it were necessary,' she answered. "'Only I don't wish to do so unless it is necessary. "'I am not controverting your decision about the stocks, "'though I think your imagination, as you say, is to blame. "'I would rather cut off my right hand "'than persuade you to act contrary to your conscience. "'But it is inconvenient, Wilbur, you must admit, "'to give up the things we have been accustomed to. "'We shall be able to keep the horse, I am certain of that. "'I wish you see my side of it.' say that you do she said with shrill intensity it is because i do that i am troubled selma for myself i am no happier now than i was when i lived more simply i can't believe that you will find it a hardship to deny yourself such extravagances as our theatre party last week being a man he added after a pause i suppose i may not appreciate how important and seductive some of these social observances appear to a woman and heaven knows my chief wish in life is to do everything in my power to make you happy you must be aware of that dearest i delight to work hard for your sake but it seems almost ludicrous to be talking of social interests to you of all women why at the time we were married i feared that you would cut yourself off from reasonable pleasures on account of your dislike of everything frivolous i remember i encouraged you not to take too ascetic a view of things so i am bound to believe that your side is my side that we both will find true happiness in not attempting to compete with people whose tastes are not our tastes and whose aims are not our aims then you think i have deteriorated she said with a superior smile i think of you as the most conscientious woman i ever met it was only natural that you should be spurred by our neighbor the williamses to make a better showing socially before the world i have been glad to see you emulous up to a certain point you must realize though that we cannot keep pace with them even if we so desire already they are in the public eye he appears to have made considerable money and his views on the stock market are given prominence by the press he and his wife are beginning to be recognized by people who were ignorant of their existence four years ago you told me last week that mrs williams had attended one of the fashionable balls and i saw in yesterday's newspaper a description of her toilette at another it begins to look as if in a few years more their ambition might be realized and the doors of the morton price mansion open wide to admit this clever country cousin to the earthly paradise it must be evident to you selma that very shortly we shall see only the dust of their chariot wheels in the dim social distance williams told me to-day that he has bought a house near the park he has bought a new house they're going to move exclaimed selma sitting up straight with a fierce light in her eyes yes he was going home to tell his wife it seems that they have been talking vaguely of moving for some time an acquaintance happened to offer him a house and williams closed the bargain on the spot in his customary chain lightning style i shall be sorry to have them go on some accounts for they have always been friendly and you seem fond of the wife but we shall find it easier perhaps when they are gone to live according to our own ideas flossy has not been quite so nice lately said selma i am afraid she is disposed to put on airs well her head may have been turned by her success she has a kind heart but a giddy brain in spite of its cleverness flossy has been getting on of course but so are we getting on why should they be recognized as you call it any more than we in time i mean not in the same way perhaps since you don't approve of the sort of things since i don't approve why selma surely well since we don't approve then i only mean that gregory williams has shown initiative has pushed aside and is the talk of the town and i expect you to be successful too is there any reason on earth why the door of the morton prices should open wide to her and not to me i suppose not if you wish it she made a gesture of impatience and gazed at him a moment with an imperious frown then suddenly with the litheness of a cat she slipped from her chair to the floor at his feet and leaning against his knee looked up into his face you dear boy i am going to tell you something 
You said to me once that if ever the time came when I thought you visionary, I was to let you know. Of course, I understand you are worth a thousand Gregories, but don't you think you would get on faster if you were a little more aggressive in your work, if you weren't so afraid of being superficial or sensational? You were intimating a few minutes ago, she added, speaking rapidly under the stress of the message she burned to deliver, that I seem to change. I don't believe I am changed. But if I seem different, it is because I feel so strongly that those who wish to succeed must assert themselves and seize opportunities. This is where it seems to me that Mr. Williams has the advantage over you, Wilbur. One of the finest and most significant qualities of our people, you know, is their enterprise and aggressiveness. Architecture is not like the stock business, but the same theory of progress must be applicable to both. Don't you think I may be right, Wilbur? Don't you see what I mean? He stroked her hair gently and answered gently, What is it that I am not doing which you think I might do? Selma snuggled close to him and put her hand in his. She was vibrating with the proud consciousness of the duty vouchsafed to her to guide and assist the man she loved. It was a blissful and a precious moment to her. If I were you, she said solemnly, I should build something striking and original, something which would make everyone who beheld it ask, What is the architect's name? I would strike out boldly, without caring too much what the critics and the people of Europe would say. You mustn't be too afraid, Wilbur, of producing something American. And you mustn't be too afraid of the American way of doing things. We work more quickly here in everything, and, and I can't help feeling that you potter a little. Necessarily, I don't know about the details of your business. But if I were you, instead of designing small buildings or competing for colleges and churches, where more than half the time someone else gets the award, I should make friends with the people who live in those fine houses on Fifth Avenue and get an order to design a splendid residence for one of them. If you were to make a grand success of that, as you surely would, your reputation would be made. You ask me why I like to entertain, and I'm willing to know people like that. It is to help you to get clients and to come to the front professionally. Now, isn't that sensible and practical and right, too? Her voice rang triumphantly with the righteousness of her plea. Selma, dear, if I am not worldly-wise enough, I am glad to listen to your suggestions. But art is not to be hurried. I cannot vulgarize my art. I could not consent to that. Of course not, Wilbur. Not worldly-wise enough is just the phrase, I think. You are so absorbed in the theory of fine things, I am sure you often let the practical opportunities to get the fine things to do slip. Perhaps, dear, I will try to guard against it. Wilbur took her hands in his and looked down tenderly into her face. His own was a little weary. Above everything else in life, I wish to make you happy, he said. I am happy, you dear boy. Truly? Yes, truly. And if something happens, which I am nearly sure will happen, I shall be happier still. It's a secret, and I mustn't tell you. But if it does happen, you can't help agreeing that your wife has been clever and has helped you in your profession. Helped me? Ah, Selma he said, folding her in his arms. I don't think you realize how much you are to me. In this modern world, what with self-consciousness and shyness and contemporary distaste for fulsome expression, it is difficult to tell adequately those we love how we feel toward them. You are my darling and my inspiration. The sun rises and sets with you, and unless you were happy, I could never be. Each man in this puzzling world must live according to his own lights, and I, according to mine, am trying to make the most of myself, consistent with self-respect and avoidance of the low human aims and time-serving methods upon which 
which our new civilization is supposed to frown. If I am neglecting my lawful opportunities, if I am failing to see wisely and correctly, I shall be grateful for counsel. Selma, for your sake, even more than for my own, I grieve that we have no children. A baby's hands would, I fancy, be the best of counselors and enlighteners. If children had come at first, it would have been very nice, but now... Now I think they might stand in the way of my being a help to you, and I am so anxious to help you, Wilbur. As a result of this conversation, Littleton devoted himself more assiduously than ever to his work. He was eager to increase his earnings, so that his income should not be curtailed by his decision to avoid further ventures in the stock market. He was troubled in soul, for Selma's accusation that he was visionary haunted him. Could it be that he was too scrupulous, too uncompromising, and lacked proper enterprise? Self-scrutiny failed to convince him that this was so, yet left a lurking doubt which was harassing. His clear mind was too modest to believe in its own infallibility, for he was psychologist enough to understand that no one can be absolutely sure that his perspective of life is accurate. Possibly he was sacrificing his wife's legitimate aspirations to too rigid canons of behavior and to an unconscious lack of initiative. On the other hand, as a positive character, he believed that he saw clearly, and he could not avoid the reflection that, if this was the case, he and Selma were drifting apart, the more bitter alternative of the two, and a condition which, if perpetuated, would involve the destruction of the scheme of matrimonial happiness, the ideal communion of two sympathetic souls in which he was living as a proud partner. Apparently, he was in one of two predicaments. Either he was self-deceived, which was abhorrent to him as a thoughtful grappler with the eternal mysteries, or he had misinterpreted the character of the woman whose transcendent quality was a dearer faith to him than the integrity of his own manhood. So it was with a troubled heart that he applied himself to more rigorous professional endeavor. Like most architects, he had pursued certain lines of work because orders had come to him, and the chances of employment had ordained that his services should be sought for small churches, schoolhouses, kindred buildings, and the surrounding country, rather than for more elaborate and costly structures. On these undertakings, it was his habit to expend abundant thought and devotion. The class of work was to his taste, for though the funds at his disposal were not always so large as he desired for artistic effects, yet he enjoyed the opportunity of showing that simplicity need not be homely and disenchanting, but could wear the aspect of grace and poetry. Latterly, he had been requested to furnish designs for some blocks of houses in the outlying wards of the city, where the owner sought to provide attractive, modern flats for people with moderate means. Various commissions had come to him also to design decorative work, which interested him and gave scope to his refined and aspiring imagination, and he was enthusiastically absorbed in preparing his competitive plans for the building of Wetmore College. His time was already well occupied by the matters which he had in hand, that is, he had enough to do, and yet did not feel obliged to deny himself the luxury of deliberate thoroughness in connection with each professional undertaking. Save for the thought that he must needs earn more in order to please Selma, he would have been completely happy in the slow but flattering growth of his business, and in feeling his way securely toward greater success. Now, however, he began to ask himself if it were not possible to hasten this or that piece of work in order to afford himself the necessary leisure for new employment. He also began to consider whether he might not be able, without loss of dignity, to put himself in the way of securing more important clients. To solicit business was not to be thought of, but now and again he put the question to himself whether he had not been too indifferent as to who was who and what was what in the development of his business. While Littleton was thus mulling over existing conditions and subjecting his conduct to the relentless lens of his own conscience and theories, Selma announced to him jubilantly about a fortnight's 
subsequent to their conversation that her secret was a secret no longer and that mr parsons desired to employ him to build an imposing private residence on fifth avenue near the park mr parsons confirmed this intelligence on the following day in a personal interview he informed littleton that he was going to build in order to please his wife and daughter and intimated that expense need not stand in the way of the gratification of their wishes after the business matters were disposed of he was obviously ready to entrust all the artistic details to his architect consequently littleton enjoyed an agreeable quarter of an hour of exultation he was pleased at the prospect of building a house of this description and the hope of being able to give free scope to his architectural bent without molestation made that prospect roseate he could desire no better opportunity for expressing his ideas and proving his capacity it was an ideal chance and his soul thrilled as he called up the shadowy fabric of scheme after scheme to fill the trial canvas of his fantasy nor did he fail to award due credit to selma for her share in the transaction not to the extent perhaps of confessing incapacity on his own part but by testifying lovingly to her cleverness she was in too good humor at her success to insist on his humiliation in set terms the two points in which she was most vitally interested the advantage of her own interference and the consequent prompt extension of her husband's field of usefulness had been triumphantly proved and there was no need that the third wilbur's lack of capacity to battle and discriminate for himself should be emphasized selma knew what she thought in her own mind and she entertained the hope that this lesson might be a lamp to his feet for future elimination she was even generous enough to exclaim placing her hands on his shoulder and looking into his face with complacent fervor you have accomplished it just as well yourself wilbur littleton shook his head and smiled it was a case of witchery and fascination he probably divined how eager you were to help me and he was glad to yield to the agreeable spell of your wifely devotion oh no said selma i am sure he never guessed for a moment of what i was thinking of course i did try to make him like me but that was only sensible to make people like one is the best to get business here i believe littleton's quarter of an hour of exultation was rudely checked by a note from mrs parsons requesting an interview in regard to the plans when he presented himself he found her and her daughter imbued with definite ideas on the subject of architects and architecture in the eyes of mrs parsons the architect of her projected house was nothing but a young man in the employ of her husband who was to guide them as to measurements carpentry party walls and plumbing but was otherwise to do her bidding for a pecuniary consideration on the same general basis as the waiter at the hotel or the theatre ticket agent as to architecture she expected him to draw plans just as she expected dealers in carpets or wallpapers to show her pattern in easy succession i don't care for that take it away this is rather pretty but let me see something else what she said to littleton was we haven't quite decided yet what we want but if you'll bring some plans the next time you call we'll let you know which ones we like the best there is a house in vienna i saw once which i said at the time to lucretia i would copy if i ever built i've mislaid the photograph of it but i may be able to tell you when i see your drawings how it differed from yours lucretia has a fancy for something moorish or oriental i guess mr parsons would prefer brownstone plain and massive but he has left it all to us and both daughter and i think we'd rather have a house which would speak for itself and not be mixed up with everyone else's you'd better bring us 
half a dozen to choose from, and between me and you and Lucretia will arrive at something elegant and unique. This was sadly disillusioning to Littleton, and the second experience was no less so. The refined outline sketches proffered by him were unenthusiastically surveyed and languidly discarded, like so many wallpapers. It was evident that both the mother and daughter were disappointed, and Littleton presently divined that their chief objection was to the plainness of the several designs. This was made unmistakably obvious when Mrs. Parsons, after exhibiting a number of photographs of foreign public buildings with which she had armed herself, surveyed the most ornate, holding out with her head on one side, and exclaimed impressively, This is more the sort of thing we should like. I think Mr. Parsons has already explained to you that he desired our house to be as handsome as possible. I had endeavored to bear that in mind. Littleton retorted with spirit. I believe that either of these plans would give you a house which would be handsome, interesting, and in good taste. It does not seem to me that there is anything unique about them, said Mrs. Parsons, and with a cold sniff intended to be conclusive. Nor did Littleton's efforts to explain that elaboration in a private residence was liable to detract from architectural dignity and produce the effect of vulgarity fall upon receptive soil. The rich man's wife listened in stony silence, at times raising her lorgnette to examine as a curiosity this young man who was telling her, an American woman who had traveled around the world and seen everything to be seen, how she ought to build her own house. The upshot of this interview was that Littleton was sent away with languid instructions to try again. He departed, thinking melancholy thoughts, and with fire in his soul, which for Selma's sake he endeavored to keep out of his eyes. End of chapter 15